but it was something that Jason Aaron said, and I think it was like an article on Comic Book Resource. I think the title of it was Write Like Your Parents Are Dead. And for me, that was a basically Jason was saying, you know, be, be your authentic self and, and when you're writing and don't worry how the people in your life are going to react to it is essentially don't don't stifle your voice because of fear of reaction. Um, and for me, that was a huge deal. Welcome back to Creative Spaces. My name is Kevin Knight. I run a website called eatgeekplay.com. It feels great to get to five episodes on this podcast. You know, this podcast is really important to me. Um, I've set out to do this for a while and, and to finally sit down and actually do it and see how it's taken shape and form. And, you know, um, it was funny. I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day and he said, you know, you ask a lot of the same questions in each one of your interviews. That's the whole point is you're going to get a lot of the same questions because everybody answers those questions differently. So sure, we I change it up a little bit and we talk about different things, but you're going to get some of the same core questions because I want you to be able to go back and listen to all these other episodes and go, okay, well, how did this guy answer this question versus this girl who answered this question this way? So you can kind of get a big picture of how combined all these different people's creative processes kind of can maybe influence your own because that's what I want you to be able to take away with this podcast of how you run your own life and your creativity and your productivity, because these are all things that are really important. Look, I run a website that talks about comic books and food and music and all sorts of stuff, plus all these podcasts, but productivity and creativity still plays a huge factor in what I do. And so every time I talk to these artists and writers and different people, I take something away from it because it helps go into my daily work life. So hopefully you can take away some stuff from these podcasts. All right, I've said enough. Uh, let's get into the interview with this week's amazing guest, Curtis Weeb. I am Curtis Weeb. I write a handful of image comics currently. I am writing Rat Queens and Peter Panzerfaust and soon Pisces number one. This month, I guess. <laughs> What's your, 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 your writing day like? It generally, I, I write from about noon to six and I pick a particular project that I'm going to work on for the day. I don't, I don't break it up where I work four hours or three hours on something and then switch gears and go into something else. Usually I commit a day to it. Um, and, and in that instance, what I usually do is plan day one and then actually write or do more development on day two. So basically, I, I try to write two scripts a week, one for, you know, different projects. Uh, right now, Peter Panzerfaust is kind of, it's not really <laughs> happening. We, we have two issues left, but unfortunately, we just have, it's it's not been earning us any money. So it's hard for us to get motivated to work on it when it's like, we know we're not going to make anything for it. So it's just like, we have to get across the finish line. So but at, at this point right now, it's... I just have one more issue to write, so um, that's just kind of on the back burner for, at, at the moment. So I'm just writing Rat Queens and, and Pisces right now, um, but it's it's difficult because they're so tonally different. Pisces is is a psychological horror book, and Rat Queens is kind of a action comedy. So you know, it's just a matter of putting yourself in the the right frame of mind, and I guess. Do you have a process for getting into that right frame of mind? 
Um, well, because I do those preparation days, it helps a little bit because what I do is I'll take an afternoon and just write down ideas and just focus on that one project. And then the next day, I what I'll do is to get in the framework. It's usually music-based. I'll just take a half hour and listen to some music that is is tonally right, you know, um, you know, Rat Queens is a lot of kind of like girl punk music or girl indie music. And then Pisces is a lot of soundtracks like uh, the the Nick Cave Warren Ellis soundtracks are really good for it. You're, you're basically kind of is it would it be cognitively training your brain to think like when you hear certain music, that's what you're writing to. Uh, I just I just think it puts you in the in in the mood for whatever it is that you're going to be working on. You know, like the kind of the mournful soundtracks are really good for setting the mood when I'm writing Pisces because so much of it is is based on you know that kind of it's very emotionally based and yeah I throw in the moon soundtrack there once in a while because there's some kind of a weirdness to it and then Pisces is a very weird comic so when I'm working with like weird and the kind of sadness those i want to put myself in that headspace and the music does that where as opposed to rat queens i think rat queens is kind of a weird thing where um i often can't write with lyrics but with rat queens i need even if just if it's a little bit quiet in the background i there it just feels like when i can hear women singing it kind of weirdly puts me in this place where i can write that universe so much better so i think it's just a matter of I don't know if it's necessarily training myself, as whereas it just automatic. I mean, music has such an emotional effect on us, right? Um, and I think that's probably the biggest way it plays into it. Were you always a comic book fan? No, I mean, I didn't grow up reading them at all. I, I grew up in a very small, very small town that was it was basically like uh, it was built around a Bible school. So I grew up in a very religious. Um, community in an environment so i didn't have access to it i mean i had you know the sunday you know newspaper funnies and and calvin and Hobbes and stuff like that through um scholastic and, and i loved i absolutely loved calvin Hobbes. that was really my only ex- experience with it so i i guess in that sense i w- was i like comics because i bought every single calvin and Hobbes that i could get my hands on um but i didn't understand it as a medium i didn't understand this is a comic book. I don't know if that really makes any sense, but uh, it wasn't until my twenties when I actually got into, you know, buying single issues and, and staying up to date with ongoing series. And, and that was also the first time that I really understood that comics could be any, anything other than superheroes. Cause I just had this opinion that it was just Spider-Man and Superman. And that was really it. Uh, even with my experience with Calvin and Hobbes, so it's kind of odd that I never made that connection. But yeah, it wasn't until my twenties that I really got into it. What was that comic book that really kind of affected you and made you want to be a writer? I don't. I I've up, I know one of the first ones that I read was like Walking Dead in like issue twenty or something like that. Uh, but it wasn't wasn't really that comic series. I think that made me realize that oh, okay, you can do other things with comics than just like superhero stories. Okay, that's interesting. And then from there, I just went and just kind of experimented with different types of books. I mean, the one that I always remember the most from that period of time was Spell by Warren Ellis and Ben Templesmith. And and that for me was because it was this slightly weird, maybe supernatural kind of detective story. So 
I just like that idea a little bit noir, but had this really bizarre end to it. And that stuck with me. That's something that really made me realize that you can do some really amazing things in the medium because it's, it's a blend of two or three different creative people combining together to make a story. And that was really eye-opening to me. Did you go to school for writing? Um, no, <laughs> not at all. I mean, it was, it was something that I always did growing up. Uh, I always had a real obsession with storytelling. And I think that probably manifested earlier on in my life with, with role-playing games, actually, that I loved creating settings and stories and and just games for my friends and and luckily i had friends that were fairly nerdy and even in that small knit community you know we would play the star wars role-playing game and i absolutely loved that and then out of high school i had actually considered going to to school for you know some kind of writing related um education but pretty much everybody in my life told me don't bother, get a real job and just do it on the side. And so I kind of listened to that and never really pursued writing on an education level. So I just always did it on the side, continued with gaming and eventually managed to find writing work in the role playing game industry. That was kind of my first gig. It was really, really minor. Uh, it wasn't a, a massive thing. I probably made $50 in, in two years. So it wasn't it wasn't a real massive gig but it was kind of the start where i could be like hey you actually you can do this and you're not going to make money doing it but you can still do it and and i found that rewarding and that was long before i was I was reading comics or anything like that so it was just a matter of once i i started writing short stories and from there i discovered comics and i just thought i'd try it and, and see what that was like and and that's kind of how the progression came about. What was that first move into comic books for you? A friend of mine had I told him about this this novel that I wanted to write, uh, the premise for it. And he's like, "Oh, that's totally a comic book. You should you should do that." And it was oddly weird. It was around the same time that it was a friend of mine that said, "Hey, you know, I think you should. Re I, I think you should read." It was a different friend who was like, "You know, you should read comic books." And I was like, "I've I don't know anything about that." So he bought me some for my birthday, and that's where I got The Walking Dead. And I think he bought me a couple of others. I don't really remember what they were right now, but that's where it started. So it was weirdly at the same time that two friends kind of pulled me into that world. And so, yeah, I basically, um, with, yeah, with with those two co with those two comics, I basically had this idea. And I'm like, well, I'll try. It. I'll give it a go. I don't really know anything about it. So I went online and I found like a sample script from Dark Horse. And I was just starting to read comics, so I, I mean, I was terrible at it. I was absolutely atrociously awful. But I just kept on writing scripts and eventually looked for artists online and talked to people and just tried to get pitches together. And I mean, I really just did it with absolutely no clue how to get anything done. So it was just a long road of, of learning and I mean, really just trying to figuring it out in an insular fashion with not a lot of outside help. So that's it's kind of crazy because that's that everybody has their own kind of story about how they get it. Nobody has that like there's no real roadmap of like how to break in. No. Do you feel like like you just kind of carved out your own your own path? Was it through networking or that you got your attention or was it just just blindly throwing stuff out there? Uh. I am not known for networking. There's probably 
a reason why I haven't written for Marvel or DC. I'm not, I'm not really good at it, and it's not really something that interests me. I think, I think there is a, I think it's a perfectly valid thing. The guys that do a lot of that networking that started around the same time as I, I did with Image, or even started after, and they're doing Marvel stuff now. I think there's definitely an aspect to it that pays off. But as far as getting into the industry for me, it was just just doing the work and not stopping once I got a rejection letter. And I've, I've told people, you know, quite often that I've I've before I ever got picked up, I probably had like 30, 30 or 40 rejection letters. And it's just a matter of not giving up, you know, just continuing on and 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 don't get I just didn't get stuck on one idea. You know, if I pitched a, a story with art and everything like that to you know, three or four publishers and they all turned it down, maybe the story sucks. So I would just try to come up with something new and, and get a new art team. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know what the, how I managed to do it. It was just, I think it's just cause I didn't give up and I, and I managed to have, you know, my first publication was with red five comics and, and they do, they did. I don't know if they do any more atomic robo, but that was my first place that I, that I, got published and I did truthfully know I was friends with a guy who was friends who, who was the publisher for that company. Um, so I got it in that way, definitely. But I wouldn't say that that publication really was my break into comics because nothing ever came out of that. Uh, afterwards, I really just had to like start over and act as though I'd never been published. So really, so you weren't using that as your calling card at all. No, I and I I mean truthfully it was terrible. So it wasn't it wasn't terrible. There were some good things in there, I think. And weirdly, I, it actually in a lot of ways that series yeah, it was called Beautiful Creatures. It paved the way for what Rat Queens became. Like I I I could see if I look back on that series now that that's what I wanted to do with Rat Queens, but I I just I did not have the skill to do it at that point. And, you know, that was 6 years ago now, 7 years ago. So I've learned a lot in that time. But yeah, it was, I mean, it came out and nobody bought it. Nobody heard about it. I think it sold, I think it sold 500 copies. It was abysmal. Um, so it just, it couldn't be a calling card because there, it, there was nothing really to show for it. I mean, I definitely used it in a portfolio that I had put together, but I just treated it as though it was like a small success in a line of failure. And I just had to keep going and, and keep pushing forward. Um, it was actually after that that I almost quit entirely because it just was it it just landed with such a dull dull thud that I just thought this is impossible like if I can't get anyone interested in my work after getting published how how am I ever gonna why bother like what's the point uh, and it was basically a year and a half after that that my first book with image happened so I just didn't give up and how did that happen uh, that was in 2010. I went to Emerald City Comic Con with Scott Kowalchuk, who I did the book Intrepids with. And we did up like an actual comic. Um, it had eight pages of art in it, it, had a bunch of like sketches and outline that I had done, but we made it in comic form with a cover and got it, got it professionally done. So it looked like something you'd pick up off the shelf. Uh, and then we went and pitched it to like a whole bunch of people, Oni and Dark Horse and Image. And I think it was like three months later and we'd, yeah, we basically never, um, 
heard back from anybody and we were just kind of like well we'll just move on and it, basically a week after we made that decision to try to do something new um image emailed us and said they would do it so and it was just off to the races after that yeah it was because basically we had a year to prepare for it i think was basically what we were looking at we had a year before from the well it was a little bit less than that from the time that they picked it up to the time it came out and then about five months later uh, i pitched a project with riley rosmo to image Shadowline, which is jim valentino's imprint and that also got picked up and that was a green wake and so they actually came out at the same time uh which was a massive learning curve for me and i had a full-time job as well on top of that so it was a little bit crazy what were you doing while you were working on on all these projects uh, i was driving a bus believe it or not that sounds like a fun job <laughs> you know actually it wasn't bad it was uh, it was a yeah i drove city bus um so you know just picking up passengers driving around the city it wasn't like it actually in a lot of ways was pretty pretty complimentary to writing because you're you're just driving around in circles all day long and you have a lot of time to just think and it was it worked out really well that i would sit and drive and just think about the problems that i was facing in my stories and what i needed to fix and possible storylines and then at the end of the day i would go home and i would you know 10 hour day finish up all my thinking and then go home and write in the evening it actually worked out really well uh but it, it came to the point where i really had to make a decision and i couldn't really manage the you know 80 or 90 hour weeks that i had to put in between writing and, and driving so uh, i eventually just transitioned to writing full-time how did you get to the point where you could write full-time uh, well, that was that was lucky. I, I made a contact at a convention that summer, so I quit in fall of what was that? Like, I think it was September twenty. Oh man, I have a hard time. I think it's twenty twelve. Uh, but he, I had met him earlier in the summer, and he was a video game developer in Vancouver, Canada, and he said that he had liked Intrepids, and that if you know if I was looking for any work. And he, he basically said, I'll pay you this amount of money. And it was a pretty good amount of money for freelance writing. And I was like, yeah, right. I've been down this road so many times where people offer me this. Oh, I'll pay you this. and It'll be great. And then I don't get paid anything. And I just get completely used for my work. And it's a dangerous field sometimes. Uh, but he did follow through. And he said, yeah, I'll pay you this amount. And I can guarantee you this many hours a month. You know, it's, it's all remote. But I would just log my hours. And so I... I Still is a bit skeptical, but I just said I have to take I have to take this shot because my comics I wasn't making any money on. That's kind of, you know, when you do image comics, it's it's sink or swim <laughs> kind of thing. Sometimes you do really great and you make good money, and sometimes you make nothing at all. So, uh, but my I was a newer creator, so I wasn't making enough to live off of. But this came along at the right time, and I was just doing like world building and character. Uh, creation and all that kind of stuff for this company and that that floated me through as i built my name in comics what was that moment when you went okay i'm a comic book writer now uh i still don't think i've got there yet <laughs> i mean i feel like at any moment you know it, it could it could all collapse and so i'm always building new things but i don't know i guess i i feel like i found my my footing i guess or 
at least the, some recognition where people would say, oh, yeah, you know, he's the guy that uh, does, you know, he writes comic books. And I think that probably happened with Rat Queens. So I would say, you know, over the last year and a half, I've, I've started to feel comfortable in the fact that I'm a creator that people might know because, that, you know, they've heard of at least they've either, if they haven't heard of me, they've heard of Rat Queens at the very least. Was there a moment when it hit you that Rat Queens was has this crazy audience? Uh, probably when I saw the first cosplays, uh, it's, it's strange because I never, I never, when I set out to do Rat Queens, I just wanted to do a book that I hadn't seen done before in, in the fantasy setting that I thought would just be a lot of fun to do. And I never thought women would like this book at all. I thought they would probably hate it. I don't know why I thought that it was just, I, I was, I wanted it. I wanted women to love this book and I, I just didn't think it was possible because it's, you know, it's a fantasy book written by, you know, created by two guys and it stars four women. And I just thought there was so much stacked against it that I was really, really surprised that the first fans that really championed the book were, you know, younger women, like 18 to 25. And they were the ones that were like, talking about it on twitter they're the ones that are talking about it on tumblr and then i started to see the cosplay very soon like i think within the first month of the book coming out and that was like whoa really really crazy but i, I don't think it really hit until emerald city comic-con like you know the the year it came out which I think it was 20 2013 yeah so i think 20, emerald city comic-con 2014 so last year um when we said like how many people came to our table and just it was just crazy. It was absolutely crazy. And that's where it kind of hit me that it was a thing that was much bigger than me. Um, that it was just this, you know, lots of people were talking about the book and it wasn't it had nothing really to do with me or rock. It was just this thing that was, that was much bigger as an idea than we were. And, and people were in love with the characters and I was totally fine with that. I, I don't, I don't really want to be famous. So <laughs> that's that's totally let the work speak for itself is kind of my motto. Do you have it uh, a hard time, though, being that your your main characters, your it's four female characters and you have to write four distinctive different voices in a woman's tone? I think that's where things can get a bit dicey if you I mean, so many people, so many women in my life talk pretty much the same way I do. Obviously, you know, they have a different perspective on life and they've had different experiences. But I think in general, if you just write people, then that always feels natural if you just write them as genuine, interesting people. And, you know, I've had people call me out on, on Twitter and say, oh, you know, Hannah talks in a way that I've never, you know, it's so it's offensive and I know women would talk like that. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> just spends just spend 10 minutes in my life and you will realize you're wrong. <laughs> you know, I know, I know women that talk like that, that, that say things that are like shock me and make me laugh, you know? And so I don't know. I think, I guess I also just pay attention to people in my life and, and women that, you know, women that are important in my life. I just pay attention to the things that they talk about and how they talk. And, I think it just becomes a natural extension of the characters when I write them is that it's based on or influenced by people in my life and experiences that they've had or that I've had with the, with those people. So maybe that's where that comes from, that that people say that there's they, the girls and rat queens feel like real people. Um, 
It's just a matter of just paying attention. Is there a time of day that you feel most creative? You know, it's I kind of have to force it because I'm not. I don't know. Like my schedule is different now. I, like I recently had a kid, so that's changed everything. Like I think I before I had my daughter. I think that I thought that I had no time. I was like, oh, I never have any free time. But I definitely had a shitload of free time. Uh, now I don't so much. And so it's just a matter of like, when can I station, uh, get myself to a station where I can write uninterrupted? And so we, we me and my wife have kind of come up with a, a plan that works for us. And that's, you know, I basically wake up with a kid till stay with her till noon, take care of, of the kid. And then from noon to six is my time. And so it's not really a matter of like, is that my most creative time? That's the time that I've got. <laughs> so I just have to that. And that's where the music comes in and, and putting myself into that mood because I just go, I sit down in the office, I put on headphones and I sit there and try to get in the headspace. And even if I don't feel I'm ready, I just start punching words onto the page. And if it sucks, it sucks. I start over. But if not, then I just keep going with it. And uh, but I would say that I probably am creative in that time because I've had the morning to kind of wake up and, and have my coffee and think about things. And then that afternoon is a really good chunk of time where it's quiet. And um, yeah, that I probably am the most productive. I, I've never been a, an early morning person like some people are. I'd usually write in the afternoon or the evenings. Now, you, you, you had said earlier that, that you draw from all your you know, life experiences and stuff. Do you have to worry about like now that you're a dad and, you know, pulling all, you know, pulling new experiences from your life into your stories you know, that, that you're going to have to constantly go out and look for new experiences to, to write about? <laughs> I mean, I've, I've lived a pretty interesting life and there's lots of things that I'm still, you know, that from my past that I, I still use as inspiration. Um, but, you know, I, I think even I, I don't know it's it's every day is a new adventure and I don't I don't ever find myself short of things that, that inspire me or influence what I'm writing you know friendships relationships traveling you know there, there's always something happening uh, that I can draw from that I'm you know I'm growing and changing all the time and that's really what I write about it's it's about the core of what I write about is, is relationships and growing and changing over time. That's a theme that runs through all of my projects, no matter what, you know, the tone or, or, or the genre. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm never, I don't stop growing and changing and, and, you know, hopefully that it remains that way that I'm, you know, always looking for new experiences and yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm not too worried about it. I feel like, <laughs> especially with a kid every day is something new. So <laughs> When you sit down to write, what's that process like? Are you using uh, Google Notes or are you? No, generally I, it's kind of just in my head. I just, you know, I find a good thinking place for me is weirdly in the shower. <laughs> if I'm if I'm stuck, I'll just have like a, a really warm shower and and just like close my eyes and think about the story and what I'm trying to do with it. I don't know. I find that a really peaceful place. Uh, I recently also. I used to live in East Vancouver and we moved about 45 minutes away. We live now in a place that's completely in the woods. So it's dead quiet out here. Um, I find that even just looking outside and just 
being outside where it's quiet also helps. And then, and then once I get the, those ideas, I actually just go, you just, just like word and just type out all my ideas. Or if I'm outlining, I, I break down the outline there and, and just write out as much as I possibly can. But I don't, I don't do things like some writers do. I know people care, like have like books next to their bed. They take notes in a lot of writers have notebooks that they're constantly jotting notes in. I should probably do that, but I, I just have never really put that into my routine. So you're just keeping everything just kind of locked up in there until you actually sit down to write. Yeah, basically. I always find it so weird that that everybody has a different process. I mean, I know I have a different way for for keeping notes and stuff. And I'm like you where it's just like, okay, until I need to actually sit down in front of the computer and get this out, I'm not really taking notes and stuff. And I've tried. Do you think that's it's just the way that you're conditioned? Yeah, I mean, I think at this point I've become comfortable with my process i mean it, there's still changes that i always have to make but you know I, I remember when i first started out and i quit driving and became you know went to, to do writing full time and i remember looking at riley rossmo as kind of like okay well riley's a full-time illustrator and i know what his schedule's like and he he basically gets up at six in the morning has a coffee goes for a run and then he works like 10 hours straight and then you know that's his day and I was like, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and, you know, I, I was like just so frustrated when I couldn't when I couldn't do more than four hours in a day. And I was like, I'd wake up at 10. And, you know, I mean, obviously, those are the early days when, I, you know, I had more time and, and I you know, wasted a lot of my life at that point. But, you know, I, I, I set that as the standard. And I thought, well, that's how everybody works. Like creative people. It's like a, it's like a a business so you have to treat it like a business i heard so many people say that and there is there is an element of truth to that but I, that's just not how i work i've never worked that way and i actually will go two or three days at a time without actually physically writing anything and then on that third day like i can write a full script in three hours if i want to so it just it's something but it takes me three days to get there and i think you know other writers that i've talked to like ed brisson he writes a little bit every day. He writes like, you know, he has to write four pages every day at least. And sometimes it takes him a full week to write a script, but that's just how he does things. And, I, and I've, I've had to, over time, stop feeling guilty about not doing anything for two days because I have to remember that I'm actually still thinking about what I'm working on, but I'm just not actually physically writing anything down. And when I get to it, then I'm very productive. So I just, I'm kind of creative in spurts. What's the best advice somebody's given you? Uh, it wasn't me directly, but it was something that Jason Aaron said, and I think it was like an article on Comic Book Resources. I think he did like a, I think he did like a frequent article there um, a few years ago. But it, I think the title of it was "Write Like Your Parents Are Dead," and for me, that was a basically Jason was saying, "Be be your authentic self, and and when you're writing, and don't worry." how the people in your life are going to react to it is essentially don't, don't stifle your voice because of fear of reaction. Um, and for me, that was a huge deal. You know, at the time I was, uh, still married to uh, my, my first wife and I was still kind of dealing with the fact that my family is, is very religious and I'm not at all. And so I didn't want to offend them with the things that I was writing or offend my you know, ex-wife with the things that I was writing. 
And yeah, it was just like this idea like, oh, you can do that. That's something that is an option for you. You can write with your authentic voice. And that that really did change everything for me. And uh, my writing became so much better for it. And Green Wake was really the first book that came out of that um, that I, I just I didn't care what people thought, but I had to write it because that was the time that not only was I writing authentically, but I was also, you know, going through this stage in my life where I was, my marriage was breaking apart and I had to write about it. And so it was the first time I was really genuine. And I, and I think, you know, even though it's, it's still rough because it's one of my earlier books that I did, I still think it's probably the most real thing I've ever written. You kind of have to distance yourself from your own life and not think about, just like you said, not offending people and to, to find your real voice. Yeah. Um, do you feel like you, you always have to push yourself like that as a writer? Uh, it's kind of, it's kind of natural at this point now. Like it's, it's one of those things where I've just, I don't really give a shit what people, what people think for, I mean, for the most part, but, and that's in relation to the people that are close to me, right? Like, I think that the people that know me really well and are closest to me, like that, they, they know that that's me, that that what I write is inherently who I am. But, you know, there are still people in my family who don't read a lot of things that I write because I basically have told them, look, you probably don't want to read this. So, you know, I could still be authentic and be like, this is a book that of mine that you can probably enjoy, but this one's probably going to offend every sensibility that you have. Um, so by now it's just, I, I don't hold myself back at all. Uh, I just, I mean, maybe there are a few things I, I remember, uh, I, I've debated a few lines that I've used in rat Queens, like, Oh, that might be not even, even rat Queens where you can say pretty much anything that might not be appropriate. Um, and so I've given pause on occasion, but I still think that it's, it's a lot easier now for me just to be very, very authentic and real in what I'm writing as opposed to, you know, even three or four years ago. Do you feel like you're always in search of that story that you, you have yet to tell? No, cause I kind of take it one thing at a time, you know, rat Queens was rat Queens was something that I've been wanting to write for a long time because I've always wanted to, to write something that encapsulated my love of role-playing games. Um, but without it being completely bogged down in role-playing games, it just kind of it's, it stood on its own. That's been something I've wanted to write for a while. Um, it really just comes to, you know, with with my new series Pisces, that isn't really something that like I set out to be like, oh, I want to I want to write a, a body horror psychological science fiction <laughs> horror book. That's that's not something that I set out to do. But it's kind of like at the time when I started concepting the the idea with Johnny Christmas, I'd just been watching a lot of 70s and 80s David Cronenberg, and I had been watching like psychological horror films like martyrs and jacob's ladder and i was like oh it was just kind of that the timing of things i think often affects it so it's not like i'm aiming for a certain thing that i want to do it's always just kind of inspired in the moment and if i feel like it's got gravity or it has a good weight to it that could be interesting to develop then i, I go go further with it is there a point where uh, in your day where you just have to go okay i'm not a writer anymore i'm a dad i'm a father you know uh, I'm um, a husband. I, I have other stuff in my life I have to do. I mean, he never really put it away. 
<laughs> if I'm being honest, you never, you never, you know, there's a if there's a little compartment in your brain that is the writer compartment, it's never the door is never closed. It's always you're always thinking about it or worrying about it or stressing yourself out about it. Like, oh, I, I have. I should be, you know, three issues ahead on this series, then I could do more. And, you know, you always you're always telling, well, at least I am, I'm always telling myself you should be doing more. Um, but, you know, I, I I can put it away enough that, you know, I, I still spend time with my family. And, uh, you know, this this new schedule that we've worked out, weekends are kind of like you don't work on the weekends anymore. And I used to always work a little bit all the time. And now that I have a daughter and, and, you know, my, my family is an important thing, then I just take the weekends and, you know, I'm probably still thinking about work and what I could be doing and new projects, but I don't actually, you know, you know, take time away. I, weekends are just kind of dad time, dad and husband time. Have you ever had an idea where you just, for the longest time you're thinking this is amazing. And then when you finally get it down and and start breaking it you're like no this just isn't gonna work uh i well there's been this one project the the very first script that i wrote uh which was terrible um that has seen i think three or four different iterations like the the first one it was like this cyberpunk story in brazil Uh, the second one was like a, pretty much the same, but I, there was the first one had a bit of like a supernatural element to it as well as a cy- supernatural cyberpunk story. The second one was like that, but it removed all the supernatural stuff. And then the third iteration, I just took it out of Brazil. It was set in the, in the, in Texas and I got rid of the cyberpunk. It was set in the seventies. Like, so it's seen all these different iterations. I like the core idea of it so much that I've never been able to let it go, but it's just never worked. What do you do it at that point? Do you, do you just keep pushing at it or, or at some point do you just be like, okay, this isn't just never going to work. Uh, I'll save it. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's just not an idea that'll work, but I don't know. I like it enough that I'll come back and revisit it every so often. Um, there was one that I was also doing. It was like this Viking story called Wode, and it just, I, I tried to do that one two or three times with different artists. I originally did it with Tyler Jenkins, who I did Pe- uh, Peter Panzerfaust with. Um, but that one I've gone to two other Virgin Peter at the time. So he's like, yeah, if you want to pitch to other people, go for it. And I'd had two other artists attached. And it just, I don't know. It just, I think, I think that there's some cool uh, history ideas with it. It was very historical. But I'm just like the marketability of it. Like no, nobody would want to read it. So uh, there's also that aspect where you have to be like, as much as I love it, other people have to also love it. Now, do you feel like that's kind of your challenge with Peter Panzerfaust, where it's it has a good core audience, but like you said, you don't make money off of it. Yeah, um, it's quite it's quite possible that that's that it just it just like I love the idea, and Tyler love the idea. I also think we really failed in the marketing of it. One of the the big things that I and and, you're, and this is also something that you learn over time, especially when you're doing image comics, um, is that you have to learn how to market yourself and market your property. That was a big fail. One, one of the things that we had easy inspiration to draw from was just to say, this is a, like a World War II retelling of the Peter Pan story. And for whatever reason, we didn't do that. We didn't. The easiest marketing thing we could have done is something that we avoided doing. And I think I was worried that 
people would be like, oh, they're just it's just a retelling and nobody wants nobody would want that. But when the first volume or the first couple issues came out, there was literally so many people like by issue three that were like, oh, this is a Peter Pan story. <laughs> like, and and that we grew the audience out of that. But I mean, I think we could have made it a much bigger hit if we had just really doubled down on that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think there is that core audience. But I mean, it's a it's a World War Two book. And those are those are a tough sell. Have you ever read anything that you've gone? God damn it. I wish I would have thought of that. Uh, pretty much happens to me all the time, but it's usually with like television shows or movies. What, what like, was the or, last thing that like, kind of hit you over the head? Uh, I'm trying to think. I can't think of anything at the top of my head, actually, but it does happen to me all the time. Like if I if yeah, if I were to like scroll through like the last 30 things that I've watched on on Netflix, I can guarantee you there's probably five in there that are just like, oh, man, that is that's such a clever concept. I wish I wish I'd come up with it. Do you find it hard, though, being a writer that, that you can't really watch TV without going trying to figure out what, you know, how they wrote that or, you know, you kind of already understand where it's going? Uh, I, there's there's an element to it. I mean, the really well done shows always keep you guessing. But even after a while, you can start to see the tells of a certain show because you know how the writer, you know, sets things up. I think this what comes to mind right now is Supernatural because they always had did a really good job of setting up the monster and then you you they also set up an expectation that is always subverted they, they had, did a really good job of that but after a while you're just like okay well this person's too obvious so it's obviously somebody else and you'd usually able to figure out who's behind the you know who's the monster or whatever by about the midway point if not sooner yeah. um but yeah i mean it's it's uh i think you just can't help deconstruct story when you're watching it you know i think that's just uh, a natural thing in your career at this point, what's been your proudest moment? Oh, man, there's been a lot. Like this year's, this year we won the Glad Media Award for Rat Queens, which is you know, I I still don't think I really understand the, I guess the weight of that, um, you know, being, being an ally of you know the LGBT community is is has become something that's really important to me, and. You know, I, I, as I've said a few times in this interview, I, I came from a, a religious place. And so I grew there was a time in my life when I was very anti <laughs> LGBT. And, and I it's, it's something that I, I have a lot of shame about. But, you know, I have a lot of queer friends and it's it's just something that's become a very massive, important thing to me. And to win that award was just kind of like, holy shit, <laughs> that, that that was just this moment where I'm like, you know what, like what I'm doing matters to that community. And that was a huge realization for me because, you know, when you when you do these things, you do them because it's on your heart and you don't really expect anyone to notice. And so I guess it was just this eye opener that it is really out there and it people are, you know, are touched by you know, that, that inclusive inclusivity that is in rat Queens. Um, yeah. And then, and then on top of that, honestly, it's just the, the fan response to the things that I do, like the personal emails that I'll get once in a while, that something that I wrote really meant a lot to them, whether it's in my comics or on my blog or whatever. Um, that's for me is the infinitely rewarding 
it makes it makes it worth it. You know, being a freelancer, it's hard to you know you you've got to always look forward. You can't always just stay in this particular moment. How do you handle that looking forward and and always looking for that next gig? I think it's just a matter of of planning and not you know like I I'm doing my my current projects, but I still have more stuff in development. And if I have an idea that I'm really excited about, to just not sit and wait until you know something else is wrapping up because you know if I'm excited about it now, I want to do it and I want to get it made and and get it pitched uh, while that excitement is there. Or else, like a year from now, I'll be like, ah, you know, I should have done it then, or I just don't have the time now, or I forget why I love that idea. Um, so it's just always just investing that time, even if I don't have a lot of free time, investing in it is in the smallest way that I can just to make sure that I'm always building something that keeps me excited. And yeah, you're going to go through times and what you're working on, you know, like I've said with Panzerfaust, it's, it's difficult because we want to finish it, but we financially cancel it. You're going to go through these moments where it's a slog, even if you love it. I mean, Rat Queens hasn't always been fun, <laughs> you know, it's it's had its moments where it's been really painful and so you need other things to like keep you excited and keep you motivated to keep going forward so so what what's your collaborative process like uh made really really depends on the project uh i mean with rat queens in particular it's it's changed you know we have stefan i have steven i guess he tells me to say <laughs> we have steven how do, you, how do you say his name well, apparently it's Stepan because he's Croatian. Okay. Oh, he's Croatian? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. So um, it's, you know, with, with Rock, it was it was different in that, you know, we started the series together. And so, you know, when I sent him script or, like, outlines, it was a much more, like, you know, um, I guess there was just much more of, like, uh, an excitement because we built it together. Uh, with, with Steven, it's, you know, it's different because he was like actually a reader and a fan of the series and he's like, ah, oh, God damn it. Spoilers, you know? <laughs> uh, so for him, it's just like, he's, he's getting all this information and I see him tweet about it all the time where he's just like, oh yeah, you guys get all these awesome surprises, but I have to draw them. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just different too, right? Like he's, he's working on a lot of projects and, and so he's, is getting the pages into me as quick as he can. And they're, and they're always great. And I'm always really happy with what he puts out, but there's not as much communication between us. It's more like, here's the script and then he gets it done and he does, does a great job. And then on to the next one, you know? Um, and so we just don't, you know, rock and I used to talk quite often, uh, as we work together. And this is just more like, it's, uh, that's more, I guess, more of a job, right. For both of us. So it, it has changed the nature of, of rack queens a little bit. I, and I'm still completely love doing it. I'm still excited about the future of it, but it is, it's just the reality. It's just a little bit different. Um, and, and then every collaboration is different, right? Like some, some creator owned, it's like the writer does all the ground, the groundwork, the character building, the world building and writes the scripts. And then the artist comes on and just, you know, brings it to life and uh, does the, the actual issues. And then other ones are like where I, where I like to be is where I approach an artist and I'm like, what do you want to draw? Let's build something together. And, you know, my best projects have, have been that where I just from the beginning have the artist on board and work with them to their strengths and build something that we both love. That's where you're going to get 
a really great comic and you're going to both really enjoy investing the time into something that you've created together. And, and that's where I'll, I'll always want to sit if I can, you know, to build something fresh. Where do you feel your creativity comes from? Uh, just life experiences, really. And, and the journey that I've been on oh, for like the past 20 years. Um, I, I think like those, the last 20 years have, have been incredibly uh, both painful and exciting. And I think that, that, that growth and those experiences just inform my worldview in such a, uh, such a deep and powerful way that it can't do anything but inform my writing and my passion and my creativity. And I think it's just that, that constant looking back and seeing where I've come from and seeing where I'm going and being inspired by it. So where can people find you online if they, they want to, find more information and follow you uh you can find me on twitter at curtis j weeb uh and my website's just uh, curtisweeb.com if you have one book to tell people to go out and read what it would be well you know i feel like uh rat queens already has the following so it's doing fine uh but pisces is kind of my return to really personal horror so if you want to know the things that really scare me and that i don't want to write about well, you should pick up Pisces. Awesome, Curtis. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Make sure you follow Curtis on Twitter. He's just at Curtis J. Weeb. Now, we mentioned it a few times on here, but Green Wake is a fantastic read. If you have not read it, please do me a favor and go out and read it. It is fantastic. I cannot recommend it high enough. If you love horror comics, this is just a great story, and it's where I just fell in love with uh, Curtis's writing style, so I cannot wait for Pisces. And of course, you gotta read Rat Queens. If you're not reading Rat Queens, I don't know if we're friends, but we can be friends virtually. Go over to Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and just add us. It's Eat Geek Play on all those platforms. Um, also, this podcast may be free to you, but it's not free to me. I've gotta pay for server costs and all the other stuff that goes into running a website. So if you have it in your heart, go over and buy a t-shirt. They're on our website, they're really cool. Um, if you can't afford it or you just don't wanna give any money, help us out and leave a comment on iTunes or just tell your friends about how much you love this podcast. Every little bit helps. Till we meet again, stay productive, stay creative.